Hey, everyone. Today, I have a special guest joining me today. Her name is Alex Scott, who is a relationship coach. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming on. So today I invited Alex to talk to us about the subject of finding yourself in a toxic relationship while dating and how to overcome it. Mm -hmm. So before we get into it, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a relationship coach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I always love it when people ask me this question because I kind of never know where to start. It's like, which version should I tell, the <laughs> novel or the cliff notes? Um, so basically, the short version is that I grew up in a very religious, strict home paired with um, very conservative views and a lovely dosage of verbal and emotional abuse. And so um, I can laugh about it now, but it was very painful. And, and but I didn't know any better, you know, because when you're a kid, all you know, you think your parents walk on water and that they know everything. Right. So right. Fast forward, you know, being raised super hyper conservative Christian, I got married at the ripe old age of 20. And um, I mean, us as grown adults now, yeah, I always get an eyebrow raise or like, a, whoa, mm -hmm. really? Like, okay, <laughs> jaw drop. Um, and yeah, I, I got married thinking I, you know, doing what my parents told me to do, you know, save sex for marriage and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, was checking all their boxes conforming to their standards and lo and behold, one year into that marriage, I found out that he had a porn addiction and I was like, holy crap, what do I do with myself? And, you know, being again, raised with these religious conservative views, that was like adultery. And I was being like, it was very intense. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, um, suffice it to say, like, you know, he refused to seek help for his own personal reasons. And he also was in the military. So there was like a stigma and I divorced him because I was like, I can't have kids with you. This isn't okay. And like, I'm not going to be here anymore. So I left. And of course, as timing would have it, that was right when Bumble and Tinder were blowing up. So here I am now 23, trying to learn how to date as an adult. And I find myself being attracted to these assholes. Sorry. I find my um, yeah. myself being attracted to these toxic guys. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong? Like what is going on? You know, it was the, it was the same relationship over and over again with a different face. Right. It was like, right. Oh, here I am being lied to again. Here I am being cheated on again. Here I am being with someone who's emotionally unavailable or whatever. And I was mm -hmm. like, all right, let's, I slammed on the brakes and was like, I'm the common denominator. The one thing that all these relationships have in common is me. So what, what's so deeply wounded within me that has me attracted to these men, these types of people. And from there, I really fell in love with the psychology of relationships, you know, men and women and the differences and how our brains work. And, you know, now that I'm even, the more I do this, the more I realize it's not even about what genitalia you're assigned at birth. It's really what our masculine female energies are within us all. Cause we all have them both, regardless of what genitalia you were assigned at birth. And so it just really became like a fascination of mine, a curiosity, a little passion project on the side, constantly studying and learning and then implementing into my own life. Like I would listen to these podcasts or watch these interviews with these psychologists and doctors and then go on a date and be like, I'm going to practice this on this date or whatever. And it worked. So here mm -hmm. I am six years later. And, you know, after getting, you know, I'm a certified coach now and I use modalities like neurolinguistic pro uh, programming and tapping and things like that in my, with my clients. But um, basically I've designed a whole program to help women not to do what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make my mistakes. So that's my story and how I kind of got here. 
Oh, that's so wonderful. I definitely agree. I feel like dating and just the dynamics between men and women are so fascinating. And I feel like everyone kind of has a different perspective and it's, it would be like, it's always changing in modern times. Yeah. I think with a lot of the awareness and like, especially with what 2020 brought, cause like 2020 was an interesting year. Obviously it was very painful with the amount of people we've lost. And like, even with, I have friends who are my age that are still suffering with some side effects and they had it a year ago, you know, like right at the beginning last March. And, um, you know, one, it was very painful, but I think it was very enlightening because it forced us to look at all the things we didn't want to look at. You know, we have gotten into a culture where we self-medicate by making ourselves busy and, what that does is it doesn't allow us to really see and be honest with ourselves with what we're producing in our life. And are we actually happy with those results? So right. 2020, as much as it was a pain in the ass, it was a blessing in disguise for many as well. So I agree. Totally. I went through like a, a sort of a breakup, I guess, in 2020. So it was mm -hmm. a very healing process. Like I almost was a little thankful for the pandemic because we live, we live such like busy, restless lives mm -hmm. as modern times. And I feel like we kind of went back to like the olden times when you couldn't see people like across the country, like you had to entertain yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, so your ex-husband, would you consider mm -hmm. him like a, a toxic person or was it the relationship that was toxic? You know what? I have a lot of grace for him. Um, cause there, look, I'll be super honest with you. Like there's people in my life that I would label like you're toxic, like you are like my mom, for example, um, which is a story for another day, but, or we can get into that later. Like I would label her a toxic person. My ex-husband was very broken and um, I have a lot more grace for that because he didn't ever like maliciously go after me to hurt me. Like it was never like that with his addiction. It was just like in a way him not receiving the help that he needed. And that I, so I begged him for, I was like, let's go together. Like, come on, I got you. You're my person. Like, I want to support you. You know, um, he was so unreceptive to it because of his own wounds and patterning and conditioning from his lifetime that, you know, I have a lot of grace for him. So like, I really do look at that relationship and I'm like, I wish you all the best, but I, I don't think I'd ever label him a toxic person. Mm -hmm. Whereas someone with my mom, who's like textbook narcissist and like, you know, I'm blatantly being like, Hey, you're hurting me. Can we make this better? Let's go to therapy together. And it's like, when I'm being told, you know, you never want to admit what you're wrong, you know, what you, your shortcomings are, and you're really mm -hmm. an issue. And you know, you're an awful person that's toxic to me. Cause it's okay. like, I'm being an, a mature adult and I'm coming to you to try and remedy this. And with compassion, you know, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, you're doing the best you can mom with the skill set that you have, but I really need us to like fix this because you're gaslighting me because this is verbal and emotional abuse. Like I lived the last time I talked to her, I literally said this. I was like, this is textbook abuse. Look it up. Like mm -hmm. you can't get out. Like this isn't like a, I'm, I'm too sensitive. Like that's a something I heard all the time. You're too sensitive. You're taking it that way. That's gaslighting. So she just refused. And I think that's where the toxicity comes in, where it's like, people who are, are, you know, just so volatile and poisonous and they refuse to ever like, there's no remorse for their, their actions. There's they don't no, admit anything. No. And that mm -hmm. is when I would throw that label out there. Interesting. 
So I feel like some people may not even realize that they could be in a toxic relationship because like you said, they were raised this way or this is all they know. How can you tell that you're in a toxic relationship? Yeah, I think learning the warning signs is and, and and understanding what behaviors to keep an eye out for is a huge first step is just awareness. So like gaslighting, which is, you know, comments like you are, t- you're too sensitive, you're taking it that way. You know, I only did this because you did that. Um, gaslighting is, is a form of psych. It is psychological abuse where they deny your reality. And so it's very taxing on a person because what that does is it, like, cause obviously I was there. It's very hard to, to trust yourself and your own ideas and your own thoughts and your own preferences when you've been gaslit for a long period of time. So if you yourself are noticing, like I have difficulty making decisions because I don't trust my decision-making ability, that is probably a sign that you've been gaslit a significant amount. Um, you know, paying attention to other things, other behaviors to look out for is like constantly nitpicking criticism, blame, um, not taking responsibility, um, you know, very mood swings. That's like, they wake up and they're happy. And then the smallest thing happens and they're like spitting nails. Like that's not okay. Um, let's see what else lies, obviously. I think Mm -hmm. even like, uh, a lot of little white lies, like when you start noticing that that should be a red flag. Cause it's like, I'd be lying if I sat here and said, no one ever lies or fibs or like, you know, uh, a form of lying is like, um, partially sharing, like not saying all the truth, but only like a little a bit. lying by omission. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thank you. That was the mm-hmm. phrase I was looking for. So mm-hmm. look, there's one form where it's like, if it's a business deal and you're trying to like, you know, let's say I used to work for a hotel and like the carpet wasn't a hundred percent. And so instead of telling them like, Hey, our carpets aren't that great. We would say like, yeah, we have our original carpet. Right. So like we're saying it without saying it. That's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas within personal relationships, if you're catching someone constantly like fibbing about dumb things, like things that aren't necessary, like that's a red flag. Like if you see someone who has a habit of lying about silly things, like that is unnecessary, what will they really lie about? Like, what are they fabricating? Cause that's scary, right? If someone is like going to lie to you about something as silly as like where they went for lunch, what else will they lie about? So mm-hmm. really paying attention to like, you know, just a person's moral character. And then the other thing I would say is pay attention to your body. Um, our bodies have their own voice and, um, you know, physical symptoms can even arise when you're in a toxic environment, anything like nausea, sweating, physical shaking, um, you know, heart palpitations. There's so many, uh, physical symptoms that it's like the list goes on and on, uh, picking at your nails, even, which was mine. Like I was a habitual nail biter until my senior year of high school. And now I don't bite my nails, but if I ever get stressed out, I'll like pick at the skin alongside. This is a, this is a form of Mm -hmm. self-mutilization, which is really creepy when you think about it, but it's our way of coping, right? That release. Like, so if any little things like that, any little ticks you might have that you're wondering, like, why do I habitually do this? That might be a sign that you're, you know, dealing with some deep level trauma, you know? So, so those are some signs, like pay attention to how you feel. If you're more at peace when you're not around them, you got to go. Sign. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so I want to talk about something that you mentioned a little earlier um, yeah. in the intro about an emotionally unavailable person. Cause I feel yeah. like a lot of people are dealing with this right now and I've been dealing it with it 
in my 20s. And I never knew that that was like a term. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you spot when somebody's emotionally unavailable? Yeah, I think the biggest indicator is that they tell you this is like kind of going back to what we said before, like they say it without saying it. So if you're dating someone or in a relationship with someone and they say things like I'm no good at relationships or my relationships always go sour or um, anything along those lines, like, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship. People say that and we especially women, we have this weird thing where people say that and where we like, we, we internally say, okay, challenge accepted. I'm going to make you want to date me and, mm-hmm. and be my man or whatever, um, or woman, whatever you're into. But it's just like, if they blatantly tell you or, or hint at the fact that relationships haven't been successful or enjoyable for them, that's basically saying that they have a limited emotion or a limited range capacity for emotion. Again, they'll nitpick you. Um, they try and have you conform to their way. So we have this term in like the psychology world of like holding space for one another, which is basically like allowing someone to be right. Like, or to express when we take the time to actually actively listen and support and, and understand our, our people around us. Right. Whereas if they, if an unavailable person can't do that, the way that's going to show up is by them trying to make you do it their way, right? It's their way or the highway. They can't, they can't acknowledge you as your own independent person. So if you see that happening, also a red flag. Mm-hmm. Other ones are like secrecy or they're trying to force sex really early. Like they're trying to do like a premature seduction because then that way they get you because it's like, especially for women, sex is super emotional. Um, so if you're going into the bedroom with a new partner thinking like, okay, this is only our second date, but I really like this guy and he's so great. And like, if I need to put out to like, keep him around fine, don't, that's a red flag. Like you need to be like, where is this going? How, how much have we really shared with one another? Um, or if you are like, look, I'm not knocking it, have sex when you want to have sex with someone, but be Mm -hmm. in the right mindset. Like if it is the second date and you're going into a bedroom or whatever, or it's relatively early on in the relationship, be mindful of your emotions and try and compartmentalize them and, and go really go into it with a realistic point of view. You're not taking them to the bedroom to lock it in. Right. Cause that's manipulative in a way. So just being mindful of, you know, their, their behaviors around you. Another big one that I really like to point out to people is if they're not introducing you to their friends and family, and they're kind of keeping you with fling, huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are some of my big ones, my big top, top tips to keep an eye out for. What about the guy or the girl who says that they're like always busy? Yeah. Another one. Like if they can't carve out time for you, look, let's be real. The same thing happens with money. We make excuses all the time, but when we really want something, we won't make the excuse. So if we want that Louis Vuitton bag, we're going to freaking find a way in our budget to make that purchase happen. We right? won't eat lunch for a week. Yeah, we won't eat lunch for a week. We <laughs> or won't go weeks. to Starbucks. Yeah, or we'll pick up an extra dog sitting gig to make the money or we'll pull out a new credit card. Like something will happen. If we really want to make a certain purchase, we will do it. It is the same thing with love. If someone really wants to get to know you and really wants to spend time with you, I don't care if they're Tony Robbins and they have a crazy ass schedule where they're doing these huge virtual events, flying around, are in demand everywhere. They will figure out a way to incorporate you into their life. So, Do you think that is even heightened more with the pandemic? Because since we're all at home and somebody gives you the excuse that you're busy, 
I mean, are you really that busy? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this varies from person to person. And I also think that with what we're going through right now, we need to really practice extra grace because the reality is that someone might be telling you they're busy, but really they're depressed and they don't have any emotionally capacity, emotional capacity to hold space for you in that time. Right. Or to even entertain you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To text all day. It takes energy to bond with someone over FaceTime or over the phone, especially if it's a new relationship, it can be exhausting. And so you take that and you pair it with all of the stressors that are going on in the world. And you have someone that could potentially be dealing like, for example, I'll use my life as a personal example. Okay. Before, you know, my boyfriend and I moved in together in December, but before then we were literally quarantining apart. And over that, even though we had been together for a period of time, our relationship was tested because he was experiencing panic and anxiety disorder or attacks for the first time in his life, like calling me at two in the morning, crying, like, and we're like literally sitting on the phone, trying to breathe together, like inhale and exhale, like, but that's hard. And if I wasn't doing the work that I was doing, if I was dealing with depression, do you think I'd be able to pick up the phone at 2am and be like, all right, babe, let's breathe together. I got you. We can get through this. Like, no. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be mindful and like understanding if people really are, whether they're using busy as an excuse because they're dealing with their own emotional crap or things they've never experienced before. Like we need to just keep in mind that that might be a thing. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of people who are, are taking this time to date virtually. And because it's for some people, they love it. Cause it's like, I don't have to go anywhere. It's very low commitment on my end because I don't need to drive anywhere. Or if I really don't like the person, I can hang up the call, right. I can mm-hmm. just leave. Like there's no, there's way less risk with the way that people are starting to date right now. But with that being said, if you, are demanding that they start to see you virtually every so often that can really put a lot of stress on the relationship. And so I think just like giving this new person in your life permission to be honest with you, like, Hey, I've noticed you've told me like, um, we've postponed our last two dates because you've been busy. Like, I just want to let you know, if you're truly busy, I respect that. Can you let me know what's going on in work? Um, you know, how can I support you? Or if it's not, you're busy and you're dealing with any kind of emotions, like, I just want to let you know, like, you're welcome to share them with me if you want, um, but I'm happy to, to stand by. Or just so that you know, I'm going to respect your time if you're busy, but I'm seeing multiple people and I want to make sure we're on the same page. Like, be honest. Those there's are no, really great responses. Yeah, there's no reason to, to not tell them. Like, and I said that, you know, it's, it's funny, I said this earlier today the only way we guarantee failure within relationships is not openly communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Agreed. without, with you refusing to talk about what do you mean by busy or what else is going on? Feel free to share with me, you know, and, and really coming at it from a place of compassion and, and eagerness to understand, um, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with that. Totally. Yeah. So I'm curious because this is something that I have fallen into a trap, a really, really terrible trap. And Uh I always wondered, what is it about unemotionally unavailable people? Do you think it's trauma? Is it because of the the movies? Because I blame the movies a lot. You have like the same like scenario, like the bad boy type and the good girl coming together. And everyone thinks that bad boys are like hot. I mean, they're kind of hot, but they're not good for you. You should stay away from them. Yeah. 
Um, this is a great question and there's actually a lot of science behind it. And if I'm going to be completely honest, this is my favorite part of my job is explaining Mm -hmm. this because (laughs) it was the biggest stepping stone for me in overcoming my crap. So I think that's why I get so excited to share this knowledge. Um, but yeah, like if you, if you find yourself being attracted, like, I don't know, did you ever watch Gilmore Girls growing up? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the whole Jesse thing, right. You had Dean who was like this perfect, boy next door cute guy who was very kind and like a, just a good guy and then you have jesse this like rebel and so if you i always call them the jesse types like if you see yourself being attracted to the jesse types throughout your life then that's probably a sign that your nervous system has been conditioned for that so let's talk about the nervous system so um i'm gonna keep this as short as possible but this is really important info so between the ages of zero and seven we're in what is called a theta brain state which means we are operating like little sponges everything we see here experience we're soaking all of that in we also are of an egocentric mindset which means that we have we don't have the mental capacity to compartmentalize events So if I'm five or six or seven years old, I'm young, right? I'm between zero and seven and my dad comes home and he's in a pissy mood because work was stressed. I, as a six-year-old can't compartmentalize that. I can't be like, oh, I understand dad had a rough day at work. This has nothing to do with me. So the six-year-old version of myself is literally telling me the story that dad's upset and it must have something to do with something I did. So that's why like, if you are a parent sitting your kids down when you are in these moods and just showing them how to be a human being, it's okay to be upset, right? But taking the time to sit your kid down and be like, Hey, Susie, I want you to know mom had a really stressful day today. So I might be a little moody or irritable or angry. And that has nothing to do with you. I love you so much. I'm just being human. You know, we have emotions sometimes. If you're not doing that with your kid, please do so because you will be bettering them for the rest of their lives. So anyway, we're operating in this egocentric uh, state and this theta state where we're absorbing all these things. And while that's going on, your nervous system is learning how to keep you alive and survive and adapt to this environment, right? Mm-hmm. So even in utero, like literally when you are pregnant with, with a child and they haven't even, you haven't even birthed them yet, they're already being exposed to all of your stress hormones, happy hormones, and everything in between. So if you don't take the time to actually nurture this kid in a healthy environment, they're going to grow and become accustomed to negative environments, right? So this is where it gets crazy because fast forward, I'm 20 years old. I mean, I'm not, I'm 29, but (laughs) let's pretend like I'm 20 years old and I'm getting married to this guy who has had so many red flags while we're, we're dating, but I don't know because all of those red flags are things I grew up with. I grew up with short tempers. I grew up with people not being where they told me, you know, like telling me they were one place and being in another place. I grew up with, you know, being yelled at. I grew up with all of these other things. My nervous system knows how to function. It knows how to keep me alive in that environment. It doesn't know how to keep me alive in a healthy environment. So isn't, it's like mind blowing when you think about it like that, because we really are animals at our default conditioning. And if we don't take the nervous system to operate and thrive in a healthy environment, in a stable environment, we are going to be repeating all the things we were exposed to over in life. And for some of us, like for me, it's very blatantly obvious. Like I can connect the dots so clearly. And for others, it's not, you know, same thing, conditioning in high school relationships, the first, the first, your first love, whoever you lost your virginity to or whatever, like those train, it trains your nervous system and your brain to respond and become conditioned to these 
interactions and experiences. And so if they're not good, it's going, you're, that's going to be the lens with which you operate the rest of your life within relationships. So mm-hmm. that's the science behind it. Once you recognize like, all right, I've done the homework. I am the common denominator. I keep attracting the Jesse types. I'm used to being treated the way that, you know, I've been treated by the Jesse types, right? Now I know something needs to happen. My first tip is remove yourself from that relationship because the reality is if you're dating a toxic person, they're not going to want to change, right? If they want to change, they're not toxic. So if they refuse to change, bye Felicia, we're getting out of that relationship. Um, And stay single and learn how to emotionally regulate. And you don't need to stay single forever. I know this is the hard part because all of us want to love and be loved. Um, But stay single like three to six months and really start practicing like and train your nervous system to be happy in a stable environment. And, And then from there, you can start to seek out securely attached people, which is attachment theory. Um, But basically what that means is someone who's comfortable, has a healthy view of love, who sets boundaries and honors themselves, but also is emotionally available to you and your needs. And then it's actually scientifically proven. You can heal a lot of trauma within relationships as long as it's with a healthy partner. You know, a lot of people say you can't be in a relationship until you love yourself, right? Like you can't love someone else until you love yourself to an extent, but the reality is for those of us who have had unhealthy relationship after unhealthy relationship, the only way to really get good at recognizing and being able to function within a healthy relationship is to get in one and start training yourself like school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a very long-winded answer, but I think it's really important information because it allows us understanding the science of what's going on makes you feel like you're not psycho. First of all, it's like, okay, I'm not a crazy person. My body is just seeking out what it's familiar to. Right. And then two, it allows you to practice more self-compassion and empathy. Yeah. Well, what a relief. I feel like now I know (laughs) I had no idea how in depth that really goes when you think about how your brain functions and how that affects your relationships. That's amazing. It's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's why I love that about my job. I just love that. <laughs> so say if you are, you have a toxic person in your life, um, mm-hmm. a co- you know, a toxic coworker or somebody in your family that you just cannot avoid. Yeah. Um, how do you set healthy boundaries? Like you yeah. mentioned. I think it's getting clear on what type of boundaries you need. So a lot of people hear the term boundaries and they think time boundaries, like, I can see you this time and this time, or I can talk to you at this time or this time. But there's also intellectual boundaries, meaning like I refuse the you know, politics, super hot topic in the year of 2020 here in America. I blatantly told my family, like, I do not want to talk politics with you, you know, because we completely disagreed. They were very far right. And I was like, bye, like, no way. And so for me, I, I just made that rule. I was like, hey, this is an off limits topic. Um, so there's intellectual boundaries, there's time boundaries, there's money, financial boundaries, sexual boundaries. And so really taking the time, like give yourself an hour or two of like, just sitting down with your notes app on your phone, or even like a journal and just be like, okay, what, what is really, what's the energy vampire in my life with this person? Is it time? Is it money? Is it whatever? And then from there, when you realize what's draining you, start being realistic with what you need. Like I need time away from you, or I need to set this financial boundary. Like I will not be ordering food out every day. Cause that's a huge waste of money to me. Like I want to cook more or whatever it is, sit down, write them out, practice stating the boundary on your own, like verbally. Like I really, I'm a huge advocate of role-playing before, especially if you're 
intimidated by the person, like if you're scared of their reaction, which might sound weird, but for, for those of us who have been around toxic people, often you get me, like if you know someone could potentially react harshly to what you're about to say, I very much uh, recommend practicing on your own. Like what words do I want to use? I feel that I need to only see you on the weekends because seeing you right now after work is very taxing to me emotionally and energetically. Um, are you okay with that? And really practicing, like, here's what I want to say, even writing it down. And so that way that when your emotions arise, if they were to arise or the person reacts harshly, you already, you don't need to think about it as much anymore because you've practiced, you know what words need to come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking the time, acknowledging what types of boundaries and then actually practicing before you go into that environment. Yeah. That's great advice. (laughs) Thank you. I try. (laughs) So Alex, I feel like you've given us so much insight into toxic relationships, dating, and how to create boundaries. Mm -hmm. Is there a website where people can find you and where can our audience, you know, follow you on social media? Yeah, totally. So I spend a lot of my time on Instagram, um, basically all my time on Instagram. My handle is at the Alex Scott. So that's um, Scott with one T S C O T. Um, and my website, if you're interested in working with me, I do have a 10 week uh, online and group coaching program called pathway to partnership. And you can check that out at alexscott.com slash PTP for pathway to partnership. So yeah. Otherwise, just shoot me a message. I'm always happy to hear what your takeaways were or questions. Because obviously, if you have a question, I can guarantee there's 80 million people on the planet that have There's an answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Alex. Of course. Thank you so much again for having me. If you've liked this episode, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app and share this show with your friends. Come back next week to hear me cover another topic on the modern world of dating.